cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the effeminate Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Call me James. <laughs> well, we are here today to talk about the Supergirl television series on CBS uh, on Monday nights at 8 o'clock. We're having a lot of fun with this show, but you know what? No discussion of the Supergirl show would be complete without the Supergirl expert that we know. Ladies and gentlemen, that's right. Uh, Greg Berlanti was not available, so instead we have invited our good buddy, Ange, the webmaster, author, creator, slave really, to the Supergirl blog, also known as the Comic Box Commentary, the longest, most ridiculous name ever. Welcome to the show, Ange. Hey, thank you guys very much for inviting me. I love Supergirl, obviously, and so uh, I can't wait to talk about the show with you. Fantastic. And and why exactly is your blog called Comic Box Commentary when it's actually about Supergirl? Uh, you know, it's a little bit of a funny story. Um, I decided one day that I was going to do a blog about comic books. Um, it was going to be uh, a general comic book blog where I was going to review everything. I did an opening uh, post, which you can actually still see out there historically, and then I didn't touch it again for five months. And part of it was that I felt that the palette was just too big to do sort of all comics. And so I decided that I would focus on one character, and since Supergirl was my favorite one, I chose her, um, but never changed the name. So that's why Comic Box Commentary is the name, and it has nothing to do with Supergirl, which is the primary uh, focus of the site. Pretty sure I was promised on the front of that 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 was going to be a funny story. Uh, I wish that it was funny. It was funny just in maybe uh, my uh, delusions of grandeur. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to review all of the comic books I read. And then uh, it just didn't work. Uh, so there fair, we are. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll buy that. 
Well, folks, before we get into this and really get talking to Ange about Supergirl and and his love for the character, let's uh let's get let's give a shout out to our our, our sponsor, folks. The Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty two percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. Now, Ange, uh, with you as a guest, I wouldn't expect you to have a InStockTrades ready. Oh, I've been listening to the show long enough that I definitely had one ready. Really? Well, you can suck it, Bailey. Fantastic. That's great. Uh, Angie, you want to go first? Uh, sure. I chose uh, Supergirl, Who is Superwoman? One of the trades that was done uh, by Sterling Gates and artist Jamal Eagle. Uh, that uh, trade also includes an introduction by Helen Slater, who is one of the stars of the show, and covers the mystery of Superwoman, which happened during the whole World of New Krypton storyline. Um, and may have some reverberations into the show itself. Uh, it uh, it was um, originally priced at seventeen ninety nine, but you save forty two percent if you go on in stock trade. So it only cost ten dollars and forty three cents. Uh, and I would highly recommend it. It's one hundred and seventy six pages of goodness. That's <laughs> that was dead on, man. That's exactly how it's supposed to roll. I'm impressed. I try. <laughs> Rob, what you got? Uh, I have a Superman, Supergirl, Maelstrom, which is written. It was a miniseries, and it was written by Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti. Artist is Phil Noto. Mm. Uh, it was a five-issue miniseries. Uh, it's a pitted Superman and Supergirl against Maelstrom, the would-be bride of Darkseid. 128 pages, full color, normal price $12.99, instruct trades price $7.53, 42% off. It is a really, really fun miniseries. I love Phil Noda's artwork, beautifully drawn. And as a bonus, it features a great little conversation Cal and Kara have about Aquaman. Really? Yes. I'm impressed. That sounds really cool. It's a really good series, really fun. I I am going to do a bit of a cheat. I picked two. So I'll run through them quickly. First one is Brave and the Bold Lords of Luck trade paperback. This was the newer edition of Brave and the Bold, the one that came out fairly recently by Mark Wade and George Perez. This collects the first six issues, and it's got various people teaming up, including Green Lantern and Lobo and other folks. But more importantly, Supergirl plays an important role in it. It's 160 pages. It goes for normally $17.99, but you can get it on in-stock trades right now for 50% off. So it's only $8.99. And you should have stopped and immediately gone in-stock trades once I finished just saying Mark Wade and George Perez. I really shouldn't have had to finish any of that, people. I'm very disappointed <laughs> in you. The other one I want to mention is Superman Family Adventures, trade paperback volume one. If you like Tiny Titans, and I know you do, they after they got done with that series, Baltazar and Franco did a sort of their own version of Tiny Titans, but for the Superman family. And it's Superman and Superboy and Supergirl. It's an adorable, adorable comic. My daughter loves it, and she thinks the Supergirl representation is so much fun. This trade collects the first six issues. It's a perfect all-ages series. If you've got kids, nephews, nieces, whatever, you just want to have fun yourself, pick this up. Superman Family Adventures, Trade Paperback, Volume 1, 128 pages. Normally goes for $12.99. You can get it right now for 42% off, which is $7.53. Heck of a steal, folks. So, again, for all your Instagram... Sorry, for all your collected edition needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Well, Ange, we're so glad you could be here. Thanks for that. And, um, you know, we'll talk to you later. Rob and I are going to talk about the show now. 
Well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, I hope to be invited back sometime. Fantastic. Well, I was going to ask you about your passion for Supergirl and where it comes from, but apparently you've already answered on the show for an episode that I wasn't invited to be on. Thank you very much. Um, Rob, what episode was that that Ainge previously appeared on the show? Uh, I think it was episode 140 where we covered the Dead Man story and Old Acquaintance Be Forgot. Thanks for listening to episodes that you're not on. I wasn't even aware they were in the feed. <laughs> I don't even know why you would do those without me. So, Well, then, let's just get right into the show. So the show premiered, well, when did it start? Um, October 26th. Of 2015 was the first episode. Uh, it was titled "Pilot." Very clever, to pilot. <laughs> directed by it was directed by Glenn Winter. The story is by Greg Berlanti and Ali Adler and Andrew Kreisberg, and with a teleplay by Ali Adler. And you know anybody that listens to the show basically knows Supergirl's story. But there, of course, are some variations here for the show. Originally, Kara is sent to Earth to be a protector of her cousin. Kal-El, but uh, the Krypton's explosion forces her ship to go off course, and she lands into the Phantom Zone, where she stays for 24 years before finally arriving on Earth. Of course, at that point, Cal has then landed on Earth before her and has full-on into his career as Superman. She gets adopted by the Danvers along with, uh, and she has a, an older sister in that uh, familial setup. Since she moves to uh, National City, she is revealed that her sister Alex is uh, working for the Department of Extra Normal Operations under the leadership of Hank Henshaw, uh, investigating alien activity. And it's during a plane crash that she reveals her identity, her powers as Supergirl, and that attracts the attention of a bad guy named Vartox. Unbelievably, Vartox. And she teams up with Alex to defeat him. Uh, she makes friends with uh, new, new with uh, the Catco company art director James Olsen. Um, and Supergirl is revealed to the world, basically. And we also find out that Vartox's superior is revealed to be Astra, which is Supergirl's aunt from Krypton. And her twin sister, who wants to conquer Earth. And that was the first episode of the Supergirl show. It was watched by almost 13 million people. Woo! So just... Go ahead, Ange. It was uh, the number one uh, new season premiere for ratings. Uh, It followed the Big Bang Theory, and it had been heavily promoted. So I'm not surprised that it did that well up front. And this was a show that they had, had available for months online, too. It was kind of amazing. It had to, if people wanted to watch it, they could have watched it. But then they still went ahead and watched it on CBS when it aired. It was, uh, it was an amazing debut. I mean, everyone was waiting for this show. And it, it certainly landed with uh, the loud explosion that everybody expected it to. Hey, there's a heck of a lot of promotions leading up to it. I mean, just tons. You, I, billboards and all kinds of stuff that was kind of surprising that they spent money on. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was, uh, you would see, like, whole sides of hotel buildings in California were, like, covered in uh, a picture of her flying, and she ended up getting uh, sort of a placard underneath the very famous Warner Brothers water tower that's on their studio, so they really went all out in terms of uh, promoting this thing. Uh, I mean, we should start with you, Ange, because you're our guest. What did you think of the pilot episode? You know, I... My one complaint about the whole thing was that it felt like it should have been 90 minutes long instead of just an hour because your, your description is actually quite truncated in terms of everything that happened, right? You know, it's a pilot, so they have to hit every single beat of what's going to happen in the show. But if you think about it, it's like, okay, I'm from Krypton, and then I land, and then I'm, you know, the 
the uh, picked on assistant of Cat Grant. And then I meet my sister and I'm hiding my powers. And then I save my sister and, you know, so on and so forth. There's just all of these different um, turns within that episode that it felt kind of rushed to me. Um, you know, in particular, you know, at one point, Alex, her sister says, how could you reveal yourself? You can't be Supergirl. And then there's a commercial break. And then we come out of the commercial break and it's Alex outside of her apartment. And she goes, you have to reveal yourself as Supergirl. You need to fly. And I'm like, boy, something happened in that commercial break that we didn't see. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, I, so that was my one complaint. Overall, I thought it was fantastic. You had great, you know, that plane sequence where she saves that plane is just, you know, pure, you know, super heroics, very evocative of classic Superman type stuff. You know, her fight with Vartax where she loses and then has to sort of pull herself together is sort of classic Supergirl in terms of like she's learning to be a hero and has to overcome her own insecurities about the whole thing. Um, I thought it was really, really well done. I just wish I bet there's a director's cut out there that's more like 90 minutes long that fleshes out some of the things that I felt were just a little bit rushed. Yeah, I kind of wondered why they felt the need to stick in the whole Vartox angle. I really thought that her debut would have been enough for a show. I mean, I know that, like you said, it's a pilot and they're setting up the series. That's what pilots do. They set up all the motivations and everything else. But I did feel like when the show moved into the Vartox, and I can't believe I'm getting to say Vartox this many times when talking about something live action. <laughs> um but just that felt unnecessary to me. I felt like there was so much going on uh, before all that that it did seem a little unnecessary. I mean, for my for my part, um, I really felt a profound sadness when it was revealed that her sister was basically part of the X Files. That part of it I didn't like at all. I was like, oh, why? you know, like I don't, I didn't want Supergirl to be part of a team. I wanted Supergirl to be Supergirl. Uh, so that part of it, and, and I had to realize that like CBS, it seems has a very definite formula for its TV shows. They like teams of people, whether it's NCIS or, uh, CSI or Scorpion or whatever other amalgamation of letters you want to put together. They have, that's their thing is teams of show teams of people. And that, that, it's not just CBS. Arrow has that. Flash has that. It's just, I guess when you're writing a TV series, it's easier to write a team of people as opposed to one lone character. But I enjoyed Melissa Benoist as Supergirl so much. I thought she was so terrific in the part that it's almost like I don't want to see other characters take away from her so much. I, you know, I don't care about the, the guy, Hank Henshaw, with his funny ears, running around, being all, being all Fox Mulder-y when... You have such a great lead character, Melissa Benoist. And I thought she captured that character almost from the beginning. And it's amazing how much comparison there is to her and Helen Slater. Because everyone loves Helen Slater as Supergirl. I don't know anybody that didn't like Helen Slater as Supergirl. And she's trapped in a terrible movie. So it's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it's the same. The, the Supergirl show first episode was not nearly as bad as the movie but i felt like wow there's this great lead performance here and there's a lot of kind of stuff around that i'm not that much of a fan of but that's you know i understand you're trying to write a show and you, you want it to run for five or six seasons so you have to do a lot of setup and this is a good way to do it because you have lots of characters to bounce her off of when i first saw the first trailer the first six minute trailer uh and, and Angie and i you and i even communicated i think over twitter or something at the time about it like i cried twice during that first trailer every time i watched the six minute trailer i cried twice once when she left Krypton, and then um, there was a scene later on where she, I don't remember which one, but either way, got to me every time. And I, 
I fell in love with, is it Melissa Benoist or Benoist? I don't know. I, I think it's Benoist. Yeah, okay. I, thought, I thought I heard it was Benoist, yeah. Okay. I fell in love with her as Supergirl at that moment, during the trailer. I thought she was just so cute, and she just had such a presence. Like, when you see a picture of her, she looks fine. She looks okay in the costume. But when she's moving on screen and she smiles, she lights up the room. Just completely lights up the room. She has a incredible presence. And so I, I immediately was like, okay, she's Supergirl. I'm in. Watched the first episode. Loved the plane thing like we talked about. Enjoyed some of the interactions with her sister. But I didn't walk away completely wowed, which surprised me. I, maybe I was just too excited. Like I love the Flash so much. That I was like, okay, I'm all in. Can't wait for this. I'm sitting there with my daughter, ready to, my nine-year-old daughter to watch it. And by the end of it, I was like, that was fine. It wasn't great, but it was fine. It was entertaining. She was she was phenomenal, but the first episode itself was okay. And I, I can't. I don't even know if I can sum it up in words specifically what it was. Because I mean, if you do a checklist, it's got all the right things. It's got a you know a bad guy with a cool weapon. It's got you know laser beams. It's got trucks blowing up. You know, had all the action beats that you need. But for some, something about it just left me a little cold that I couldn't put my finger on. But that turned around by the time I watched the second episode. Yeah, I will concur that I think that she's absolutely fabulous, you know, uh, as Supergirl, Melissa Benoist, because I think there are so many layers to Supergirl that I love, and she does seem to capture all of that, right? So for me, Supergirl is optimistic and bright and sees the best in all people, but also has a fierceness to her so that if you cross her or are not doing the right thing, she'll do everything in her power to take you down. But she's also is like a little bit of a dork, but she's also a little <laughs> bit insecure, right? She's also a little bit insecure because she's in like Superman's shadow. And you have to have a great range if you're going to pull all of that off in a 44-minute episode. Uh, and I think that she absolutely does that. Um that you see all of these little pieces of her. I uh, agree that, you know, at the end of that episode, there were some things that I felt were a little bit too on the nose, right? You know, there was a lot of what, you know, is it because I'm a girl? And, you know, uh, Vortex was, you know, on my planet, you'll kneel before me, right? So there was a lot of, they were really going to say like, hey, there's going to be a lot of girl power in this show. But I think they hit it a little bit too on the head. Um, so that was one thing, that, again, that sort of detracted um uh, for my enjoying that show, uh, you know, I was ready to like have my eyeballs melt after seeing it. Um, but I gave it a B plus uh, after I saw it because I thought, hey, you know, this is just going to be the foundation. I anticipate things are going to get better from here. I mean, the um, comparing it to The Flash, I think, is very apt. You know, it's the same production company, and you can kind of see like, oh, Cisco made his out uh, made the Flash's outfit and is the tech guy, and Wynn made her outfit and is the tech guy, right? So you can, mm -hmm. there, there's a little bit of that um, sort of like mirroring. Uh, sometimes I think almost a little bit too much, um, but I would say you know I saw the Flash premiere and I thought it was okay, and that series just built such momentum over the course of um, of the first season that I anticipate I'm going to see uh, that here and every episode subsequent to the pilot of Supergirl has been better and better in my mind. What did you guys think of, well, I was going to say the Jimmy Olsen character, but it's the James Olsen character, because he's, he's Jimmy Olsen in in no way. I mean, he's, really. <laughs> he's, I mean, a, he's a photographer. <laughs> well, I mean, he's, he, he, and I'm not necessarily saying that as a criticism, but he is not that character. He's not the Jimmy Olsen character. He's simply a guy who's a photographer who is a side character in a Superman context. But in terms of his personality, 
he's completely not Jimmy Olsen. And does that, I mean, is it still valid as Jimmy Olsen if you completely keep nothing of the character itself? I mean, this guy is completely confident. He's a giant hunk. You know, I mean, he's just, you know, I mean, I can't picture this guy needing Superman's help. I mean, he seems like he could just kick ass on his own. He's such a giant guy. Well, he's got a successful career, too. He's art director for, you know, a, a major newspaper. Yeah, yeah and one of Pulitzer, right? Uh, that was That's one right. of the first things that we learned about him. Um, you know, I feel part of my love of the Jimmy Olsen character in the comics is that he's like Mr. Action, right? He's going to, like, put on a costume, ride a motorcycle, and try to crack a story and be in the middle of it all. I don't see this guy being in the field like that. So, um so I also kind of scratched my head a little bit about, like, what is his place? And it seems to be almost as, I don't know, mentor or confidant, right? That he's like, oh, I went through this with Superman so I can give you some wisdom. Um, now, he's totally the love interest. Yeah. Or part of a love rhombus is how I described it. <laughs> uh, uh, but you're right. I mean, he doesn't feel like Jimmy Olsen to me. I'll, I'll, get, I'll grant you that. Jim, when I think of Jimmy Olsen, and this is probably unfair to everything else that's ever been done since then, Jimmy Olsen to me is still the Jimmy Olsen from the 1950s TV show. Turtle Boy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's the cub reporter. He's trying his darndest. It's a whole lot of, like, chief, you know, getting in trouble for calling Perry chief. And he always tries his darndest but never gets it quite right is, is Jimmy to me. And, and when I read Jimmy Olsen in, in the Superman comics I read from, you know, the early 90s all the way into the 2000s, that was still kind of Jimmy. I mean, he had d- different moments, but still couldn't quite get things right. So, yeah, this guy's nothing like Jimmy Olsen. It's good, but, you know, I hadn't even thought about that necessarily. You make a very valid point. He's, um, he's just Jimmy in name. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I've never been so attached to Jimmy Olsen that it bothers me. I just thought it was interesting because at a certain point you're like, well... Why even call him Jimmy Olsen? Because he's just completely not that character. But you know, it's fine. You, I mean, they're trying to, to to weave this further into the Superman universe, and one of the ways you do that is by you know, I mean, I didn't have any problem with the idea of Jimmy Olsen being Jenny Olsen in Man of Steel. Not that they ever even said that. So you know, I just thought it was curious that they completely took any nothing recognizable from Jenny Olsen and used it in the Supergirl pilot. But again. It's fine. I thought the guy's performance is fine. I, I, like I said, I'm so in love with Melissa Benoist in this role that everyone else to me fades into the background a little. And one of the other things I really liked about and they, this show, and they got it right from the beginning, is I love the way they shoot the flying sequences. Um, they shoot it like the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, and I don't necessarily mean the special effects. I mean the way the camera follows supergirl as she floats or as she swoops in and out it's very graceful and that is one of the things i really love about the superman movies i think there's something to having to do it practically and i don't know how much of uh, they've got melissa benoist on wires and how much of it is just pure cgi if it's mostly cgi then they've clearly studied the superman movies to sort of mimic the filmmaking that goes around it because i thought all of her flying sequences of her landing or floating were really very graceful, and I really, I bought it. It, it seemed very real to me that, that this is someone actually levitating and not just a CGI effect. That's very fair. Yeah, it's 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 very impressive, and the the force, like when she takes off, there's this, it's a very strong, fast takeoff and things like that. It's very impressive. So I and I can see the Christopher Reed thing. All she needs to do is wink at the camera now. Yes, and. And, you know, some of the things that I like in terms of the flying is that, you know, she does do a lot of almost floating at times when she's not really in action. Um, And she always has her leg in sort of one particular position. Her right leg seems to be bent at the knee. 
Um, and we saw the young Supergirl do that in a later episode, which meant that this is like a personality quirk that right, she had. Right, so I thought right. that, that was great. And she does this sort of, it's not really a three-point landing, but she always seems to land in sort of like a fighting crouch position, which um, which I also thought was great. You see it when, you know, when she first reveals herself to win, and then later on when she meets Wynn and Jimmy in, in the alley, and even when she fights Vartox, it's always this sort of land in this action-ready, almost crouch with one fist almost on the ground. I like that, too. I think they call that the Iron Man. Yeah, it could be the Iron Man. Yeah. By the way, one more quick thought on Jimmy Olsen. Um, I, I guess another reason for him to be in the show is they can't use Superman, really, so they need someone to play the Superman role. And he is the surrogate Superman, basically, giving the advice. Yeah. 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 So. It is. I mean, we'll talk about it in a later episode, but he does have this speech at one point that says that he also felt like he was under uh, the shadow of Superman, that he was defined as Superman's pal, and he wanted to become his own person, and that's why he decided to move to the other side of the country. Um, So I think that maybe they're also trying to show that um, he can understand what Supergirl is going through, but... That guy's like six foot four, ripped. I mean, give me a break, right? <laughs> what do you have to prove to anybody? <laughs> yeah, he is one big dude. No, no doubt yeah. about that. Uh, Let's move on. Let's move yeah, on all right. Two. Move on episode two, which is Stronger Together. It aired one week later, directed again by Glenn Winter. Story by Greg Verlanti and Andrew Kreisberg. Teleplayed by Andrew Kreisberg and Allie Adler. In an effort to put a positive image on Supergirl in the wake of a serious mishap, Kara asks Wynn and James to help her perfect her skills, while Hank and Alex put Kara through extensive physical training. Meanwhile, Kara learns that the insect-like alien of the Helgramite species, again, I can't believe I'm saying Helgramite in the context of live action, who escaped from Hort Fort Roz is on Earth searching for chlorine-based food. The DEO prepares an ambush for the Helgramite, but it escapes, kidnapping Alex and taking her to Astra. Astra uses Alex as a trap for Kara. As Kara and Astra fight, Hank injures Astra with a kryptonite knife, and Alex kills the Helgramite. Learning that Kara has become more powerful than she had imagined, and that humanity has a means of weakening Kryptonians, Astra muses that her plans maybe need to be terribly postponed. Although Cat Grant pressures James to get her an interview with Supergirl, James's reservations about being used as a go-between to his superpowered friends while Kara is worried about being recognized. In the end, Kara agrees to the interview and prevents James from getting fired. It also revealed that Hank might have a secret of his own when his eyes begin to glow red. Um, the first thing I think of in this episode, and I noticed it when I watched it at the time, was this is the first appearance of the newscaster, played by an actor named Jay Jackson, who played Perd Happley, the newscaster <laughs> on Parks and Recreation. And so I am waiting for the eventual Supergirl Parks and Recreation crossover episode. I can't wait. I am so excited about it. I, I actually discovered Parks and Rec not too long ago, just in the last few months. And I'm all the way into, I guess, season three now. It's like my favorite show in the world. I absolutely love it. And I noticed Purd was on there. Yep. And I kept telling my wife, I'm like, look, it's Purd. And every time, like, she would, I don't know, it's like a slow reaction. She'd, by the time she looked up, he's off the screen. So in four episodes, she still hasn't seen that Purd is in the show, visually. It's driving me nuts. Leslie Nope would love Supergirl. She, she would. absolutely love Supergirl. So. She absolutely would. And uh, April, April would hate her. My favorite part of this episode was the montage of her getting trained, set to Pat Benatar's Hit Me With Your Best Shot. I thought that was such a great music choice, whoever put that together. That is probably my favorite sequence of all four episodes so far. My favorite bit is also in this episode, but it's a different scene. It is when... Uh, Jimmy Olsen, or James Olsen, whatever, 
that guy, is having a conversation with Kara about her being Supergirl meeting Cat Grant. And she says, how can I do it? You know, how does Clark do it or whatever? And, you know, she says, it's the glasses. And he's like, no, it's not the glasses. And he explains to her that people don't see Clark Kent and people don't see Kara Danvers. They just don't, quote unquote, see them. They don't, they don't see who they really are. When they see Superman, though, or Supergirl, they fill the room. They, they have a presence. People see those people. So that's why Grant would never put together that Kara and Supergirl are the same person. Now, he explained it much better than I am. I'm just paraphrasing and doing a terrible job at it. But his speech to me really grabbed me and like almost – it made me feel like every, every Superman joke I've ever made over the years about the glasses, I was like, forget it. Never mind. There it is right there. That's the explanation. And for me, I thought uh, that my favorite part of this episode was truly the knockdown, drag out fight that she has with her aunt when they reveal uh, to each other um, that they exist. You know, uh, Supergirl goes in to rescue Alex, and her aunt shows up and says, You know, it's time for you to join me um, because your mother didn't understand that I was trying to save a world. Um, and I'm not going to let another world die. And then Supergirl looks at her and says, I was just about to say that to you. And then just hauls off and smacks her. And there's just a great fight. There's heat vision, hitting heat vision and, you know, kicks through walls. And someone gets thrown into a steel girder and it bends around them. I mean, that was really a fantastic fight sequence um, that shows how much effort they're putting in all of the effects. I'm going to ask a question about that yeah. fight scene. I agree. As, as far as all the elements were amazing. Was there a little too much obvious wire work in that fight scene? Because I felt like there was. Uh, I will say that they, it did seem at times that they were um, suspended rather than flying. That's, um, that's what I felt like a little bit. It took me out for a split second. Other than that, other than like one little bit, I felt like it was really good. Yeah. And uh, to comment on uh, your guys' favorite um, spots, whenever they when they played... Um, Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar, I was like, oh my god, later on this season they have to use Invincible by Pat Benatar, right? Because that was the <laughs> Slater movie, uh, the, the Legend of Billy Jean. Legend of Billy Jean. So I was like, boy, that, that would be so great. <laughs> uh, so, um, And then uh, the part with Jimmy, I thought it was very good because he said that, you know, uh, Kara is already invisible to Cat, right? Cat doesn't call her by the right name. She just thinks that. So it's like she's not going to. She's she doesn't even see you already, so she won't put two two and two together. So I thought that um, that that was also a good way to start that conversation. That Cat is just oblivious to everybody, uh, and that has carried through in other episodes. When you know, at one point later on, Kara uh, says like, "Oh, we need Win's help," and she's like, "Who's Win?" Right? Uh, right. <laughs> so uh, so. Um, I, I thought that was very, done very well. What do you think of the red eyes of Henshaw? I, I know two very popular online theories. Yeah, so which one do you subscribe to? Okay, well, the two very popular online theories are is, is Hank Henshaw, if you don't know your DC Comics, is the secret, well, I guess you could say secret identity, is the alter ego of the cyborg Superman. Uh, he was in the you know the, the post-crisis era Superman stories where he ends up with the ability to communicate with computers. And machines. And we see a scene where, in another subsequent episode, where Alex is using a computer, and Hank Henshaw's eyes glow, and he's like, hmm, Alex, she's on a computer. He doesn't say those words, but he sees that she's doing something. So that leads some credence to the possibility that it is Hank Henshaw. He actually has some computer or technology-based powers, some sort of you know um, techno-language connection or whatever. The other running theory is that he's actually the Martian Manhunter. Really? Also, I didn't hear. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. know that at all. 
And that could also be used to explain the scene where he's with Car where he sees Alex on a computer. He's reading her mind. Um, I prefer to subscribe to the Martian Manhunter theory simply because if Hank Henshaw is set up to be the bad guy, the cyborg Superman, it's too similar to the flash where you've got the first season, sorry, spoilers folks, where you, you've got Harrison Wells is you know guiding the team. He's the boss, just like Hank Henshaw, but he's secretly the bad guy manipulating everybody. And you know, if Hank Henshaw is cyborg Superman, he's clearly going to go evil as well. So I hope that's not the case. I hope I'd rather it be a heroic situation. Yeah, I prefer the Martian Manhunter idea as well because part of the um, his persona on the show is that he fears all aliens. So there would be a lot of irony or an interesting twist if he himself turned out to be an alien. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought uh, that that would be um, well done. And then Astra's second-in-command is somebody named the Commander which I was like, that could be Commander Blanks, and then you've got a whole side story between uh, one of the supervillains on that side and the Martian Manhunter on this side. So, uh, I mean, that would be a deep cut, uh, but I think that that would be fantastic. And it's like you say, even in an upcoming episode, something happens with Hank that I was like, this is a little bit too close to Harrison Wells that I hope that it doesn't pan out. Well, I, I'm going to follow that up real quick. One, you just made Diablo Frank's head explode. I'm pretty sure, implying that Commander Blanks is, might be in this show um, because you know, that's his online Twitter handle and he's a Martian yeah. Manhunter guy. Uh, the, the other thing is, uh, I, I kind of suspect what may have happened was in the old days like when we see a flashback with, uh, uh, what's his name? Shoot, I just blanked on it. The, the guy in charge of the DEO. We just said his name. Hank Henshaw. Yeah, God, I couldn't come up with it. Okay, so Hank in the past. I suspect that Hank in the past was an actual real-life human being, and he was a total jerk, an asshat. And then somewhere on the lines, he either dies or gets taken out or whatever, and then Martian Manhunter takes his place. Uh. So that would excuse all of Hank's evil actions up to whenever Martian Manhunter took the place. Also, it sort of makes sense to use Martian Manhunter because they've sort of established he's not going to be in the movies. They're not putting him in the DC Cinematic Universe. Now, they used him a little bit in Smallville, but Smallville's out of continuity now, at least as far as the, this, these stories go. So why not use Martian Manhunter? He's a perfect character to use. Yeah, you know, he's a manhunter, so to have him tracking down escaped alien criminals actually makes sense. What if he was a warden at Fort, Z Fort Roz or something like that? You know, it is true. We've never heard about any of the staff there. Yeah. So. Do we blow your mind, Rob? A little bit, yeah. I like. To, I mean, you know, I I, uh, I like the idea of working Martian Manhunter in there. I mean, what the hell? Why not? Why not do it? I mean, I would be happy if, you know, it turned out. Yeah, I don't want him to be a bad guy and the whole Flash thing because it's like, guys, come on, write something different. You know, for the love of Pete. Um, I hope we do see more scenes. Like, like I said, Ann just mentioned about using that that other Pat Benatar song. I want to see more scenes of of stuff like that where it's fun and upbeat. I just. Just and and the way they shot it too, the freeze frames of her stopping with her hand out, stopping the bullets. I I thought that all that stuff was just so charming and fun and just like you know, it's like yeah, that's what I want to see superheroes doing, just having fun and using their powers for good and all that kind of stuff. It was just terrific. You know, the montage in the first episodes are also great. The ones where she's stopping crime and stuff, like you know, they're like you know, the, there's a car chase and she looks and she has that face. Uh, yeah. I could do a car chase. Mm -hmm. That's like my favorite line in the whole pilot, by the way. I could do a car chase. And where they're shooting bullets at her, there's a lot of fun montages there. So I agree. I hope they continue to use the montages. They're, they're a lot of fun. Going one back to real quick to what Ange said about Commander Blanks might be digging a little too deep into the, the chest of, of you know, DC characters. 
come on, man. We're talking about Vartox, Vartox Reactron. Yeah. Helgramite. So I'm not too worried about how deep they might be willing Over to dig. Over on Flash, they're going to do Vibe. I mean, you can't do much more of a deep dive than that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. They've dug up some really obscure Firestorm characters. <laughs> That's true. That kitty litter guy who I didn't even remember. Uh, whoever that dust devil oh, was. Oh, sand, sand Demon? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, he clumps together so nice like kitty litter. Uh, Jeez. <laughs> You'd be nice to my Firestorm villains. I haven't said anything nasty yet about yes. you know, about Vartox or Reactron or, you know, I'm sure the council and the gang that are coming around the corner any minute with Blackstar. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you can probably count true Supergirl rogues on one hand. So, um, uh, I mean, I certainly wouldn't count Vartox as, as a villain for her. But, yes, Reactron is coming up, and he certainly has a, a history with her. In fact, he's in the next episode. Why don't you tell us about it? All right, episode three was called Fight or Flight. Um, it starts out with uh, Supergirl being interviewed by Cat Grant, which is right where the second episode ended. And it's actually a uh, funny little interplay as Cat is asking her questions about does she want to raise a family and who is she? And uh, Supergirl gets upset at Cat and says, you know, my cousin doesn't get asked these sorts of questions. And that's the big reveal. Suddenly everybody knows that Supergirl is Superman's cousin. Um, that news travels across the airwaves and is caught by Reactron, who in this universe is a villain of Superman. And we hear that he has fought Superman to a standstill a number of times and has never really been defeated by the Man of Steel. Um, as a result, Reactron decides that he's going to uh, get vengeance on Superman by attacking Supergirl. He uh, finds her while she's trying to clean up a uh, traffic jam uh, and traffic accident on the highway. They get into a brief scuffle. She ends up damaging his armor in a way that he has to fly away. Um, later on, he then kidnaps Maxwell Lord, who we learn is sort of a scientific genius in this universe because he needs his armor to be repaired. And Supergirl ends up tracking them down uh, in an attempt to rescue Maxwell Lord and really gets beaten up by Reactron. She's actually on the ground and is about to get defeated when who should show up to rescue her but, in a very blurry vision, Superman himself. And when Superman arrives, Reactron realizes that he needs to leave and flies away. It turns out that Jimmy, who has been, or excuse me, James Olsen, um, was quite worried that Supergirl uh, was going to face Reactron and was going to get killed by him, given the history with Superman, and used his signal watch to uh, uh, get Superman there to rescue her. And that actually uh, angers Supergirl quite a lot. She's ready to stand up on her own. She can't be rescued. Um, and as a result, she gets quite uh, angry at Jimmy and, and tells him to take off. Uh, later on at a uh, party thrown by Cat Grant to celebrate her scoop that Supergirl is Superman's cousin, Reactron arrives. Um, the two end up fighting again. That is Supergirl uh, and Reactron. And uh, Alex, who has been helping her in the background, realizes that she needs to pull uh, the reactor core in the center of his armor out. But if she pulls it out without covering it in lead, it'll explode as a small nuclear explosion. So... She melts a art object that's made out of lead onto her hand to act as a glove, faces off with him again, and defeats him. And then this leads to really my favorite scene in this episode where um, she is at work and Clark texts her 
And she says, he says to her, you know, you're doing great. You stopped Reactron, something I could never do. I guess this was a job for Supergirl. You know, I'm proud of you. And, you know, I almost welled when I saw these stupid text messages on the screen because this is such a huge part of Supergirl's character, trying to, you know, earn Superman's respect and, and be her own hero and not be in his shadow that that just sort of encapsulated so many feelings I've had about her for decades that, um, that that was just a powerful way to end the episode. It's funny. I, I expected as that scene was unfolding to hate that scene. Cause I, I don't, first of all, I don't like instant messaging. Can't stand it. Um, <laughs> and texting, I'm fine. Instant messaging for some reason annoys the crap out of me, but I was just thinking I was going to hate it. And just like you, it got to me. It really got to me. I was like, mm. and it, it was a perfect way to put Superman in the show without having to put him in the show. At least, yeah, at least the messaging part. Yeah, you know, he's sort of like the elephant in the room, right? You know, you have to explain that he's in the universe, but why hasn't he been around and why isn't he helping her in National City and all those things? So I think you almost had to get him in the show and then get him out of the show. That if you didn't put him in an episode early on, people would be saying, when is Superman going to show up? So I thought this was the perfect way to do it. He says in that text message conversation, it's like, you know, I know you can stand on your own. I'm not going to go to National City anymore. So uh, so I thought that that was just a great way to deal with that. I really hope Superman uses a secure server. Doesn't seem like a good idea for him to be having these conversations over. I mean, he practically had a little S-shield as his avatar or something, but... I do love it when Wynn is sitting there going, Clark Kent is Superman? But he's just totally stunned. That whole scene was hilarious to me. Yeah, well, you know, Jimmy Olsen, you had one job, and you blew it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about it. All right, Superman saving Kara. Uh, did we? You make very good points about how they needed to bring him in the show just to get him out of the show. You're right. To get rid yeah. of the, the waiting. How do we feel about it? Do we feel like they should have not had him into Super Saver? I, at the time, I felt like it was kind of cheesy that Superman came into Saver and then left. I was like, oh, that's cornball. But you make a fair point about, again, having to get him out of the show. Other thoughts? It didn't bother me at all. I thought, I mean, they're, they're clearly talking about that this is early in her career. So she's going to need a little help in the beginning. So I, I think Angie's completely right. You bring him in to bring him out. I think that's exactly why they did it. Yeah, and, you know, we hear throughout this episode about, you know, what a threat Reactron is. So this isn't like he had to save her from, you know, the prankster. Um, you know, this was somebody who fought Superman toe-to-toe in the past. So I'm not surprised she's been a superhero for about a week, right? You know, for, for her to lose to this guy uh, at the beginning made perfect sense to me. I, I do have a real problem with this episode in regard to her relationship with James and her being pissy with him and stuff like that, about her standing on her own. Because a lot of the story is she has to stand on her own and how dare James call someone for help. And she's mad at him for it. And everyone's all about it. The whole story is she needs to stand on her own. You know what? If she was, you know, I don't know, in a sport sport team, like a basketball player or something, and she needed to stand on her own, and they didn't need to undermine her, you know, her, her chance, I'd be all for that. If she was giving a presentation at work and they didn't need to undermine her chances of, of standing on her own, I'd be fine with that. They're playing with people's lives here. You know, she screws up and doesn't defeat Reactron. People die. So I, I kind of call BS on this. You know what? If she can't do the job, yeah, you call Superman. Yeah, you call whoever it takes to do the job so people don't die. 
you know, it's funny because the whole point of the episode before it was that, you know, hey, we're stronger together, right? I'm not going to be like Superman and just go at it alone. I have my people behind me who will help me get through this like you, James. But I just think, you know, when you read the comics, this whole thing about Superman and her being in his shadow is such a big deal that I feel like I can kind of understand more from decades of reading her as a character that she would be like, oh, my God, the first time I fall down, you call him in to save me. You know, like I can understand a little bit of a personal part of it. Now, if you're not a big Supergirl fan and you don't read the comics, you probably won't have that historical context. Um, and she was about to die, right? You know, I mean, he was just laying into her with nuclear blasts. So mm-hmm. in the end, like she should be like, you know, I'm not happy that it had to happen. Um so I guess I can see your point a little bit. I was a little disappointed. I know it wasn't going to happen, but I was a disappointed that Reactron didn't have his purple and yellow duds. <laughs> I just thought, why not just go the full, go 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 the full ridiculous, and just have him appear in the costume as Carmen Infantino drew it. But I guess that was probably too much to ask for. Yeah, you know the the one thing I don't like about it is that they give him this like sympathetic backstory, right? You know, like Superman saves a nuclear reactor from melting down, except. This guy and his wife, who are both engineers there, the wife dies, and this guy is so upset by that he decides to declare vengeance, which is sort of like, oh, I feel bad for this guy that his wife died. It's like, no. In the comic, Reactron is just a jerk who, like, mowed down a Vietnam village of women and children and uh, is just out to kill people. Like, I'd rather have my villains just be villains. Maybe that's me. Well, they did Jeff Johnson a bit, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I let's get this out there. If, if you're new to listening to the show, or maybe you came in just for the Supergirl coverage, and you don't listen to our Who's Who show, Rob and I are not kind, quite honestly, to Supergirl characters when they show up in Who's Who. Uh, we, we, we've made Reactron the butt of many jokes. Paul, Cover- Paul Coverberg introduced a lot of goofy-ass villains in his Supergirl <laughs> run. There's no doubt about it. And that's said with love. We love Paul's work, but yes. yeah. So and also there are Carmen Infantino drawings in Who's Who towards the end of his career. They're not his best work, and so yeah, we, we tend to pick on we pick on Reactron quite a bit. We picked on Vartox quite a bit. Um, oh my gosh, it's it, so it just the fact that they made Reactron cool was stunning to me. I just couldn't fathom it could be done. Well, you know, um, he uh, is uh, updated by Sterling Gates in that run. Mm-hmm. Um, and becomes the man with the gold kryptonite heart. He becomes more like a Metallo character. Huh. And he has a lot of history with her. I mean, spoiler alert for something that happened, you know, five years ago. He kills Zorel when it turns out that Zorel is alive, blasts him clean through the chest. Wow. And then in the war, in the new Krypton storyline, mm-hmm. he basically goes nuclear on new Krypton and blows up new Krypton. So kills all of the Kryptonians on new Krypton, including Allura, who dies at his hand. So he has um, a major history with her in, um, in her new incarnation, which is her pre-New 52 um, book. <laughs> in her, previ- her last new Incarnation. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. There's been right. quite a few since Crisis. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. All right. Uh, you want to just go on to the next one, and then we'll just come back to anything else we missed? Yeah, I think let's get on to the episode four. All right. Well, the one that aired this past week, at least for us as the time of recording, was Live Wire, directed by Kevin Tank Tankrion, maybe? Uh, written by Roberto Agu- Aguar Sacasa, Caitlin Parrish, um, and... Uh, 
it was viewed by 7.7 million people, by the way, which I want to come back to when we talk about ratings. So the story it opens with a fun fight between Kara and some alien, and it's really just more of a distraction thing because Kara's having to have a conversation with her sister while she's having the fight, makes for some fun jokes. But the key element here is that Kara and Alex are welcoming their mother to National City. Eliza Danvers is coming for Thanksgiving. So she has a conversation with her friend Wynn, who's not, who doesn't have anyone. He's having an orphan's Thanksgiving. So she invites him to join them for Thanksgiving dinner. Meanwhile, over at Catco, we, uh, their, their resident shock jock, her name's Leslie Willis, and she is bad-mouthing Supergirl on the radio. I mean, honestly, some of the stuff she said, I sort of cringed at, and I was looking over at my daughter going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. This is too much. So she says some terrible things about Supergirl, and Cat Grant takes that a bit personally. Looks, It appears that Cat has been mentoring Leslie for quite some time, the shock jock, and now she's taking an issue because Supergirl's her new project. So she basically fires Leslie from being a shock jock and demotes her to traffic reporting in a helicopter. Well, uh, during a really, really bad thunderstorm, uh, uh, Leslie goes out there in the helicopter, lightning everywhere, the, the helicopter's in danger, Supergirl goes up to save it, and as she's carrying... or you know, bringing the helicopter around, lightning strikes Supergirl. It transfers the energy into Leslie, and then they, they land, and, this, and Leslie goes into a coma, and she now has a, depending on how you look at it, shock white, blue wig that may or may not be flattering. Depends on what you're into, <laughs> folks. Um, so Leslie's unconscious in the hospital bed, and you actually get sort of a touching moment with Kat where she goes over there, and, and you know Kat's about, in private, you know Kat's about to say something nice to Leslie, and it, it's the equivalent of, get out of bed, you're better than this, and leaves, and that's actually her being heartfelt. And it, it's actually a nice moment, but it's really bitchy. So, Leslie, sure enough, Leslie wakes up, and she has all kinds of, le- of electrical powers. So she dies, takes the name Livewire, decides to take on Cat Grant, and attacks her a couple different times. Supergirl, Supergirl intercedes to save her, and you get some nice moments prior to that with Kara, I guess after that, really, with Kara and Cat sharing some Thanksgiving stories and, and about family and all this stuff. Then, let's see what else happens. Oh, somewhere in here, Thanksgiving dinner goes horribly awry. Because the mother is puts tremendous amount of pressure on Alex about the way Kara, or Kara, is being, is, was raised and how she's acting now in National City. So the mother and Alex are constantly in odds. Wynn just wants to eat his Thanksgiving dinner and doesn't want to be in the middle of it. And it gets very uncomfortable, and that's when Kara has to go to join um, uh, a cat. So... No, it comes down to a big showdown with Livewire, and Supergirl ends up basically frying her with a water main, which is pretty clever. At the end of the episode, all the, the, the daughters and the mothers all make peace, and you find out the mother comes clean and says, look, I need to tell you something. Years ago, when the girls were little, um, the Hank Henshaw actually came to their house and was going to take Kara away, but instead their father, or Kara's a uh, foster father, Dr. Jeremiah Danvers, agrees to work with Hank Henshaw to keep Kara safe. And that's the big da-da-da-da, and they decide they have to find out. They know their father died, but they have to find out what happened to their father, and they're clearly keeping that a secret from Hank that they're investigating it. So, what did everyone think of this episode? Go ahead, Ange. Um, so, I thought that the action sequences and the fights with um, Livewire were really spectacular. I thought the effects were great. She leaps from one device to another like we've seen her do in the comics and on animated shows at one point she has lightning whips so uh which i thought was uh really fantastic and even her sort of straight lightning bolt beams i thought were really great but there's so much going on um character wise uh in this episode which i felt was almost like world building as you learn about the again the pressure that alex has been under all of her life 
And, you know, you learn that Jimmy's sorry, that Wynn's father is in jail and that's why he doesn't have a family to go to. Um, that I thought this really sort of um, built up each of the characters. Uh, mostly, uh, or the one that I think grows the most is Kat, because as you say, you start to hear about how she was pushed in almost a negative way by her mother, uh, and that's how she feels that she accomplished everything. And as a result, she also tries to push people um, to get the best out of them. And she recognizes that she never did that with this Livewire character. She let her become you know, more and more crass and rewarded her instead of trying to bring the best out of her, and she regrets that. So I thought all of those interactions between Kat and Kara in this episode, both in her civilian identity and Supergirl identity, were really well done. Was Livewire... Livewire was created for the Superman animated series, is that right? That is correct, and she actually gets her powers in a very similar way uh, in the animated show as she does here, which is like an electrical power surge goes through Superman and into her, the same way in this show, a lightning bolt goes through Supergirl and the turn. So she's basically the Harley Quinn of the Superman universe because this is a character that's only been around a couple of years. And in that short time, she's been given an action figure. She's worked her way into the comics and now she's in live action. I mean, like, I, I was amazed that only four episodes in they were doing something as ambitious as Live Wire, you know? So it's, it feels like I can't believe that, that there's no never been a Supergirl villain like this before, that it took the animated series to introduce her to the world, but it seems like everybody really took to her very quickly. And for my money, I liked her in the White Wing. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a little bit of cosplay moment. You just, I, I, I didn't, I liked it because I like white hair uh, wig type stuff like that and colored wigs, but um, I didn't buy it though. You know, it's yeah. like I, I didn't believe that was her hair, but it still looked kind of hot. There you go. Oh, Got it, was, it in. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was so clearly a wig that that was the one thing, and and you know uh, that sort of bothered me. And in you know all of her other incarnations, it's big spiky hair, almost like from like Dragon Ball Z. That I was hoping that there would be some electric effect like of her hair that just never happened. You mentioned the the lightning whips. My stepson was watching this one with us, and he actually got mad when she did the lightning whips. They said, hey, they're ripping off Whiplash from Iron Man 2. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. Hmm. Interesting observation or thought. Visually, she reminded me with the, just the white fright wig a little bit of Daryl Hannah's character, Priz, from Blade Runner. Mm. She's one of the replicants, and she's got that giant white fright wig that runs around. I, I, I mean... It was sort of funny that it's like recently Livewire was sort of what if Howard Stern became a supervillain? And I guess some people would argue he is. But, I mean, it, it was – it's like – it's sort of funny how hands-on Cat Grant is. She, I don't think she's a very good boss that she really gets involved in contract negotiations at that level. I would think you would leave that to some subordinates. But, you know, whatever. But, uh, no, I, I enjoyed this episode. I said it was, it was goofy fun and it's nice to see – uh, a female villain, and it's nice to have a female villain that can sort of take Supergirl on at a different level as opposed to them just punching each other. I, I love this episode. I love the Thanksgiving stuff. I love uncomfortable family moments, uh, maybe because I had so many as a child, uh, and still do to this day with my own family. But I, it felt, I don't want to say that the conversation felt real, but you could feel the uncomfortableness in the room. Like, I felt uncomfortable as a viewer with them just sniping at each other over the Thanksgiving dinner. I, I sort of related to Wynn, where he's just like, anybody here for potatoes? You know, I mean, he's, he was wanted to just move the meal forward. So I, I really actually dug those scenes quite a bit. The scenes with Kat and Kara talking... I really like those where, you know, Kat noticed Kara for the first time. She actually called her Kara at one point. I do, 
I do wonder if this is going to be a, you know something towards the end of season one or something where Kat's going to go, of course I knew you were Supergirl all, the whole time or something like that because you almost feel like she knows. I mean, so much of so much of Kat's advice she says in front of Kara is clearly intended for Supergirl. So is that just a nice storytelling device or are we supposed to think there's more there? I wonder. I'll, I'll, you know, um, I, in my review on my site, I actually said I anticipate in the season finale she's going to say I've known all along. Because uh-huh. even, even in the fight in the Cat Go building, um, she goes to uh, Kara and she says, um, go 20 floors down and get security. And I'm like, really? She think that she's going to run 20 floors down? And I'm sure that, that in my mind I was like, she knows that she has to change into Supergirl and needs an excuse why she hasn't come right back. So she's going to send her away on this mission to get security, knowing Supergirl will be able to then come back and save her. So I, I felt uh, some of those reverberations as well that, you know, she probably knows who she is. You know, another thing that I liked in this, remember how I said in the first episode it was like a little bit too on the nose about the girl power stuff? Mm-hmm. They, were, they were a little bit more subtle moving forward. So, you know, in that interview, a couple of, uh, in the Reactron episode, where she asks her, these questions about, you know, are you dating? Are you thinking of having a family? And Kara says, you know, you know, my cousin doesn't get asked those questions. And then here, you know, as you said, the stuff Livewire was saying on that show was just brutal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then Kat says, you know, you were shaming her body and questioning her sexuality and talking about her in a bad way. And, and I can't stand for that, which I, you know, which was great. You know, that's what feminism is about, but it wasn't this, I'm going to beat you over the head with it. It, you know, you just understood, Hey, that's not what we should be doing. Um, so I thought that that was well done. I think this episode did more for cat than any of the episodes. I, I didn't really care for the cat character up to this point. I thought she was kind of obnoxious. I got why she was in the show. I mean, she's also a, a pretty big departure from the Cat Grant in the Superman comic books. But I, she just was too obnoxious. It just bothered me. I thought she was very one note in the beginning. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, yeah. And in this one, I just you saw a lot more of her. It was a really good development for her. So I'm, I'm interested to see where her character goes. I, I, she can't become a protagonist. She's, she's not designed for that. But it would be interesting to see where her personality takes it. Livewire's yeah. powers were also very, very cool. Really dug that. I like the way Supergirl took her out. I like how she had a plan, a Ghostbusters trap. They made a Ghostbusters reference, which was fun. And then it, then it didn't work out. That was very cool. Yeah, you know, it's funny. In that scene when they're like, oh, we've made this capacitor, and it'll absorb her. And she's so thrilled, right? She goes, oh, it's like Ghostbusters. And she's got this big smile. And then, you know, all of the people are like, you know, put on this stern face. And she's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, right? You know, uh, <laughs> which I thought was just... Um, great, you know, because she's young and exuberant and she's in this, like, very important meeting with all of these stern military types. Well, weren't you guys thinking the exact same thing? No, 100%. Uh, I would say, oh, it's a Ghostbusters trap. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. She, she was the audience at that moment. <laughs> um, I feel like we have to start calling Win poor Win because, like, every scene he's in, I'm like, oh, poor Win, right? <laughs> you know, let me have a Thanksgiving uh, dinner. And, oh, it just, uh, you know, it becomes this awkward thing. And then, of course, at the end, you know, he finally gets up enough courage and kisses her on the cheek and says, you know, I didn't get to say what I was thankful for. It's your friendship. That's a little bit syrupy. But then she's like, oh, look, James is back. And it's like, oh, poor Win. <laughs> like, every, every, every scene he's in, I just feel like, that's what I'm going to end up saying. Well, this episode really gave me a big sigh of relief because, uh, Rob, I don't know if you know who his character, his name represents. Uh, you know the name? No. His name's actually not Win. It's, it's what, uh, 
Oh my gosh. Win- Winslow shot. Thank you. He's the toy man. That's his name. Oh, okay. So all okay. along, I've been, and he's got little toys on his desk. Right, 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 right. And right, I kept right. thinking, oh my gosh, they're going to turn this nerdy guy into the toy man? He's going to be, you know, is he going to be murdering Cat Grant's, you know, son? Like, I have another comics, you know, ah! And then when he said this episode, my father's in prison and he did some terrible I knew, things. I, I knew that was going to, that's going to come back, yeah. So I was like, oh, whew, this guy's not toy man. His dad is toy man. Okay, I can deal with that. I just hope he's got the toy man's voice from Challenge of the Super Friends. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I demand that the, any live-action toy man be played by John Hodgman from The Daily Show and those Apple, from those Mac commercials. He is the perfect guy to play the toy man. I know they won't do it, but I'd love to see it. No, they've already cast the guy. I have to go to, uh, oh, really? to, uh, to remember who it was. Um, well, say, hold on to that thought for just a minute, because we'll, we'll yeah. talk about the, the rest of the season in a minute. I want to talk about the ratings for a second, if I can. And if you guys want to jump back into the episode discussion, we could do that too. But so the ratings started at almost 13 million. Now they're down to seven point, roughly 7.8 million. And I, I found a, a website that listed sort of how everything else did on Monday night. The Voice had uh, this is the eight o'clock time slot. The Voice had 11.5 million. Dancing with the Stars had 12.2 million. That's NBC and ABC. Then CBS was next with Supergirl at 7.87 million. And Fox had Gotham at 4.3 million. So it blew Gotham away majorly. But that's part of the reason because Fox just doesn't have the penetration. So Supergirl at 7.8. Then unfortunately, Scorpion immediately after it jumped up to 9. Really? So Scorp- yes. Yeah, so Scorpion actually got more ratings than Supergirl, which worries me considerably. Uh, a lot of this is because uh, what, the reason it worries me so much is, and we've talked about this on Fire Water before, is just you know Constantine tanked on NBC and was canceled, as far as everyone's concerned. However, they had more sheer viewers and Constantine than the Flash does, and Flash is celebrated as the most watched show in C- uh, CW history. So what I'm worried about is they're going to look at something like Scorpion that gets nine million people. And Supergirl, which only gets seven point eight, and they're going to go. Oh well, Supergirl's not cutting it. Now, Ange, you're more you're closer to this stuff than I have. Have you heard anything about the the reception of Supergirl as far as its its success with numbers? Uh, so I think that when they, because I've tried to decipher all of this, that when they look at ratings plus three, which is people who have DVR'd it and watch it within three days, mm-hmm. that things have gone up. And that actually this last episode of Livewire had more viewers than the episode before. Oh. So there was a tick up between the Reactron and the Livewire episode. And that when they look at the plus three and then even plus seven, so people who have DVR'd it and watched it within a week, that it's pretty strong. And they anticipate that it's strong enough that they're going to announce a full season because I think it's only gotten 13 episodes guaranteed so far. And that some... You know, media trade magazine said that they figure that it's going to be the first new show to have a second season guaranteed uh, because they think that it's really uh, done well. And it's actually done well overseas. Apparently, it's done gangbusters in the UK. Hmm. We'll, have, we'll have to ask Mark Gray. <laughs> or, or, uh, or Hey Kids Comics. <laughs> yeah. So I just realized uh, there are a couple things about this episode that we didn't talk about that I wanted to. Uh, the casting of the mother and the father, Helen Slater as uh, you know the foster mother and Dean Cain as the foster father. What do we think? Well, I love the I love the Helen Slater. I mean, I just love it, and I love it's sort of fun that if you're in a Superman project, you kind of get permanent employment through all these things. 
<laughs> you know, you would be on Smallville, whatever. I Dean Kane, meh. But uh, and so I'm kind of glad he's not a, has a bigger role. But I'm I'm thrilled that Helen Slater is in it, and I, it's got to be fun for her to be sitting there talking to an actress about being Supergirl when she herself was Supergirl. That's and pro- considering that that movie was such a stink bomb, I, it, you have to think for many years Helen Slater must have probably had fairly negative connotations to the character. But luckily, she's hung around long enough for fandom to catch up with her, and I think that's got to be probably a wonderful thing. Yeah, you know, she played Laura on Smallville. Right. And had scenes with Laura Vandervoort as Supergirl. And oh, that's now, right. And now she's, uh, you know, the adoptive mom and working with another Supergirl. So I just think that they're, I mean, that's just pedigree in my mind. I mean, I think that that's just fantastic. And you know that she actually co-wrote a comic story with Jake Black uh, in one of the uh, Supergirl number 50 in that Sterling Gates run. She did a backup story. Oh, nice. Um, so, and she said all along, like every interview you see when people ask about it, she's like, I have nothing but good things to say about comic fans and Supergirl fans in particular. So um, she never seems to have sort of let the stink of that, you know, camp fest movie uh, get her down. Good for her. Now, yeah. Now you, now you were kind of, you went in eh, about Dean Kane. See, for me, I loved the Lois and Clark series, at least, at least the first season. I absolutely loved the following seasons. I enjoyed I really, really, really liked his portrayal of Clark Kent. I didn't care for much for his Superman, but I really liked him as Clark Kent. And I was very, very deep into the Superman you know, comics at that point, really into it. So for me, he is totally a legitimate Superman, and seeing him on this show just makes me so happy. He belongs here. He really does. You know, the, the other options would have been, what, like Tim Daly because he did the voices? I'm, you know, not saying, I'm not saying Dean Cain's illegitimate. I'm just, just not a particular fan of his or his role as Superman, so... The fact that he's in the show, I'm kind of like, that's fine. But uh, I'm, I'm excited to see Helen Slater. So that's see, all. I'll confess to something I've dodged up to this point. I've never seen the Supergirl movie. Um, so it, it's I, I appreciate Helen Slater as Supergirl because I've seen lots of pictures of her over the years, and she's hot. But uh, Dean Cain's more important to me on the show than Helen Slater. Right. So, you know, I'll say that I loved that Adventures of Lois, Lois and Clark show. I was also heavily invested in the comics at that point. I mean, and I'm going to date myself or date that show. You know, if I was working and that episode was on, I taped it on a VHS tape and then would watch it uh, later on. Yeah, me too. And, uh, what is this and, sorcery you refer to? Yes, and, <laughs> and there is no doubt that Terry Hatcher was exactly the Lois Lane that every Superman fan wanted to see on that show. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, so I don't mind him being here. He doesn't come across for some reason as like a brilliant, uh, you know, scientist, um, which uh, we've only heard him say a couple of lines. But um, uh, so I'll be interested to see if we see more of him. And I'm going to tell you, we haven't seen a dead body. So I'm not saying that he's dead yet. Um, yeah. I think that he might still be out there. So is that uh, now not knowing much about Supergirl? Are, is that legit? The the foster mother still being alive and this and the foster father being dead and being a scientist and all that. Um, so uh, in the Silver Age type stuff, it was Fred and Edna, not Jeremiah and Eliza. It sounds like the Beverly Hillbillies on this show, but so uh, so um, and he did work for Star Labs, uh, but and she was uh, just sort of a homemaker. Um, so there is a little bit of history that he was a scientist, but, um, uh, then later on, uh, it's Fred and Sylvia in the, uh, Peter David version. And, um, he's a police officer and she is again, a homemaker. 
and that's it. There's no Danvers in the uh, Jeff Loeb uh, recreation of her, and certainly no family in the new 52 stuff. Hmm. Okay, that's an interesting departure. Yeah. You know, I think it's, um, you know, we see that scene with him where he says, I'm going to work with you now. You'll, and he says a line, you know, uh, I know everything there is to know about Superman. And I'm like, oh, there's some meta there. He knows everything there is to know about Superman. Oh, my gosh. I didn't think about that. (laughs) Um, And I think it also explains, right, you know, if you look at the DEO, Kara's ship is in the middle of their, like, foyer, right? And they have a room with kryptonite, you know, beams and kryptonite knives and, and all along, I've, I've asked, you know, in my head, you know, why do they have, how did they get a ship? And so that reveal that he worked for them kind of, you know, filled in a few questions that I had. There you go. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I loved the little scene, the scene with the, them as little girls flying. That was a great little scene where they're flying over the water and stuff. I really enjoyed that. That was fun. It reminded me yeah. of the Superman, Lois Lane scene in the Superman movie. Yeah, and that's where, you know, you saw that, that young car kind of floats and does that sort of like almost ballet pose where mm-hmm. one leg is bent that we've seen that it's like, oh, you know, they're thinking a lot about, you know, some personality quirks or some, you know, things that she does that sort of carry through that I think sort of gives it a good sense of history. Absolutely. So we've talked about Dean Kane and um, Helen Slater. So how soon till we see Laura Vanderhoot, uh, Terry Hatcher on the show? You know, they at one point, um, somebody at some convention asked Laura Vandervoort, like, will you, you know, would you ever be a guest star on Supergirl? And she was like, oh, I'd love to. And then it like the Internet exploded and they were like, Laura Vandervoort's going to be on the show. And she had to come out and say, no, I only said I'd like to. Nothing has happened. Um, And so in my head, I've tried to figure out what character she would play. Um, Somebody uh, incredibly smoking hot. Yeah, you know, and what about like Power Girl? And I'm like, I don't, oh. to, I'm like, I don't know if we want to introduce Power Girl to this. So then I was trying to think, you know, there have been um, Kryptonian uh, female villains of Supergirl. Like there was this one called the Black Flame and there was one called Les Lalar. And, and so maybe if they're, you know, if they're going deep enough uh, that they're doing Helgramite, maybe they'll bring one of those back. Well, they've introduced the multiverse in Flash and the general suspicion is sooner or later they're going to figure out how to cross over Supergirl and Flash, no matter what they say, if they will or won't. It seems logical it'll happen eventually. And the multiverse seems the way to do it, since they exist in several universes. So if you use that multiverse idea, maybe Vanderhoot plays Power Girl, but she's Supergirl in a parallel universe. Yeah, that'd work for me. And just wait till Brandon Ruth shows up on the show as, you know, former Superman as the Atom now. That would be a total mind blower. Oh, my gosh. Was Terry Hatcher ever on Smallville? I don't think so. So I, was, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. She, no, she was on that Desperate Housewives thing. Uh, so I don't think she had to um, settle for Smallville. Right. Oh, so I wonder what her, her view is of being in Superman projects. You know, she might be somebody who's like, eh, I don't want to get into that or whatever. I, just, I have no idea. Well, it made her one of the most downloaded women in the world at the time because the internet was in its infancy as that show was on the air. And that picture of her wrapped up around in the Superman cape became one of the most downloaded pictures on the internet at the time. So, You know, I, I know exactly that picture in my mind. I do, too. I remember it quite well. I was very familiar with that picture. Anything with Terry Hatcher in the 90s I was very familiar with. Anyway, Ange, thanks for coming on the show. It's time to wrap it up, I'd say. I, 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 I want to get to uh, what's going on coming up in the rest of the season. Now, I, Ange, I need you to dispel a rumor for me. And I probably was just reading bait clicking. 
but I thought I saw a, a headline that said there was a possibility that when Superman finally shows up on Supergirl, if it does happen, that Tom Welling may be the one playing it. Is there any uh, truth to that? I don't think there's any truth to it. I think everybody wants there to be truth to it, but I don't think there'll be any truth to it. The, um, the truth is if you do the math, he would probably be the right age because she was 24 years in the zone and has uh, been here for 13 years, which means that he would probably be 37, 38, 39 as Superman. And I think that's right around where Tom Welling would be age-wise. But I don't think um, – nobody has ever said that. Um, I don't yeah. think they want him. I think that this was the whole thing. You see him in a blurry shot. It's the shape of him. I don't think we're ever going to see him face-to-face. Even like in some big season finale, things have gotten you know really, really big, and they bring in – you know because the season finale brings in everybody always, that kind of thing. I think that Zack Snyder – is going to keep control of that character in its whole. Yep. Have him on the show in total. That would make sense. I mean, it's, it makes sense. Now, I, I, the only thing I would say to argue that is that they're not doing that with Flash. I mean, they're supposedly moving forward with a Flash film that's completely independent of the TV series, which I still think is a ridiculous idea. Uh, and I agree with you. I think that's stupid. <laughs> you should practice that. You should practice that sentence over and over, Ange. <laughs> not the stupid part of that sentence the other part of that sentence so what should we expect for uh, this season what can you tell us try and maybe try to sh- should we explain what's going to be a spoiler and what's just stuff we know uh, you know they've come out pretty much and announced all of these different um, characters uh, and actors that have been hired to play characters so I think that we have an idea of who is going to be on the show but I don't think we know much in terms of what the plot line is going to be uh, moving forward I mean we know that there's uh, this alien prison, Fort Roz, that has landed and that the goal of the DEO is to capture all of these people. But, you know, the last two episodes um, have not been alien escapees. And, the you know, Livewire was supposed to be the fifth episode. The fourth episode, which they skipped because of the events in Paris, again, was not an alien escapee either. So at first I thought it was going to be Monster of the Week escaped from Fort Roz and it hasn't really played out that way. I think eventually there's going to be, you know, the season finale is going to be her facing off against her aunt again. And I thought she was going to be the big bad. But in the episode that she's introduced um, at the end of it, she's talking to somebody else as if she's second in command. Um, so I have no idea who that is. Although I have um, a guess that maybe it's going to be Maxwell Lord. Um, in terms of yeah, in terms of people who are who are guaranteed to be on the show, um, we know Red Tornado is going to be on the show. We know Toy Man is going to be on the show. Um, we know that Cameron Chase is going to be on the show. Oh, okay. um, Lois La- uh, Lucy Lane is already on the show. And spoiler alert again, she turns out to be Superwoman. So whether or not she what? becomes uh, yeah, in the Sterling Gates run. Lucy Lane is a villain called Superwoman, so um, whether or not that happens. Um, and I forget, there's a character that, I don't know if they've named it, but there's like a anti-alien senator who um, shows up on the show um, to try to have a crusade against Supergirl. All right. So, um, I mean, they're, uh, I mean, we're going to see Red Tornado. I mean, I, I, I'm just thrilled with everything that I hear about this show. 
I, you know, again, I think they're only confirmed for 13 episodes, which may be why we haven't learned more about what's happening, because whether or not they have to end it early or if they get those nine other episodes to sort of play things out. Um, but I think that uh, the progression of each show and the overall plot of this Fort Ross um, uh, is fascinating enough that I think the season finale should be, you know, a brawl. You know, think, oh, I'm sorry, Jem, and Jam, Son of Saturn is going to be on it as well. Oh, that was Jeez. the other thing. Uh, yeah, that's what, right. Yeah. What's, that just I, dropped. I, I mean, what's, dropped. what's season two, Sonic Disruptors? I mean, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think I figured out who Alora's working for. Um, she's working for Steve Lombard, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Do you know that they made a reference to the miniseries The Weird in the last episode? Did you catch that? Are you no. serious? Do you know the Jim Starlin? Um, yeah, Bernie Wrightson. Oh, yeah. Bernie Wrightson one. Yeah. So when they're talking about the Ghostbusters trap, he says um, there is a uh, energy alien, the Zarlot, that we captured in a similar device. And I was like, boy, that name sounds familiar. And then I was like, oh my gosh, that was the weird. Uh, was uh, the Zarlot alien that inhabited that dead guy's body? Jeez. So, I mean, you know, throwaway lines like that just make me weep. You know, I mean. Um, uh, it's just fantastic. That's crazy deep. That is crazy, crazy deep. You know who else we need on the show? We need Nicolas Cage on the show to represent Superman as well, by the way. You know, I just watched that that documentary, and, and that was fascinating. That whatever happened to Superman lives. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was, that was just a fantastic film. And it made me rethink that movie uh, a million different ways. I thought, because all I ever saw was that picture of him in that weird suit. And sort of hear that that was, uh, you know, the, all the work that they had done before that um, was just uh, fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, we, we, some, we, we some, co- some guy has a, a film show and they talked about it and the guest was really interesting hearing him talk about the show. So, I, yeah, I thought about watching it too. Uh, you know, I have to say that I skipped that episode of Film and Water because I wanted to watch it before I heard about it. Um, so now I'm going to go back and listen. Go ahead, Rob. We're yanking your chain. Go ahead. No, no, go, no, no, no. Just continue with your bit. It's fine. My bit's over. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, anyway, episode eight of the Film and Water podcast available on the same feed which you're listening to this. <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it, gentlemen. Unless we've got anything else we want to talk about with Supergirl, other than it's a lot of fun, and I'm very pleased with it. I hope it continues. Yeah, you know, I'll say I have three daughters at home. It's appointment watching for us, um, and they're really into it as well. So I think that, you know, it's hitting um, that target audience as much as anything, uh, and, uh, and that's great news. Fantastic. Well, folks, before we start finish up the wrapping up, just want to let you know we do have another special guest on the show tonight who's going to be joining us in just a bit after the break. Uh, so don't go away. But before we do that, uh, let, let's go ahead and do all our social media pimping and everything. And tell everybody where they can find you. Um, I have a Supergirl blog that's called comicsboxcommentary.blogspot.com. But my understanding is if you go to Google and type in Supergirl blog, I'm the top match. Woo! Um, and uh, I tweet whenever I can uh, at uh, Dr. Ange 70 uh, at Dr. Ange 70 on Twitter. And there's other stuff oh, you're part of. Right. And I'm also part of the Legion of Super Bloggers, where for the last year, uh, or the last, uh, for more than a year, I have been covering the five years later run. Uh, and that is coming to an end. It is literally on fumes. I have only a couple of uh, issues left. And I can tell you can't wait till you're done. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because, it, you know, the first 
year of that is just comics at its pinnacle to me. And the first three years are really fantastic. And it's like now doing these reviews uh, on the Legion blog is almost like a chore. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot that happened. <laughs> the reason I'm so intimately familiar is I'm, I'm Angie's social media guy when it comes to his five-year-later posts. I, have to, I get to write those for you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Well, I've, I've enjoyed the hell out of your reviews, and I, like you, huge fan of the five-year-later run of the Legion. The first couple years are just amazing. So good. Well, Rob, um, why don't you tell the folks at home how they can reach us via email in our Tumblr? Our Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. The email is firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. And the blog is fire, fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com. Very cool. And you can find my friend Rob, and I use the term loosely, over at aquamanshrine.net. Also on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can also find him under Film and Water Pod. You can find me at firestormfan.com. See, I didn't even take a shot at you. Anyway, you find me at firestormfan.com. Uh, under that same handle, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, Tumblr, and Pinterest. Uh, with that, I think we're going to go to break. We're going to play a couple podcast promos. And when we come back on the other side, we'll have our other special guest. Ange, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Hey. Thanks again for inviting me. I've been a fan of uh, this show for a long, long time, so I'm honored to be asked. As you should be. <laughs> Why don't we let Ange say the, uh, the sign-off? So until next time, I guess, fan the flames and ride the waves and read Supergirl because she's awesome. Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. One is the man of tomorrow, with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile, let's go. Up, up, and away! Atomic batteries, turbines to speed. Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at greatcrypton.com. My name is Bob Fisher. And I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it. From 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons. Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio, supermanforever.com.
Hello, and welcome to a very special segment of the Fire and Water podcast. I have with me a very special guest today, a young lady by the name of the Precocious Princess. By the way, she's a two-time STEAM award-winning special guest, and she also happens to be my daughter. Could you say hi to the folks at home, Princess? Hi. Why don't you tell the folks how old you are? Nine years old. So you are a pretty good target market. I would say, for the Supergirl television show. We've seen, what, four or five episodes now. What do you think of the show? What's your general thoughts about the show? I really like it. Who's your favorite character? Kara. So, Kara. Yeah. So do you, do you like her better as Kara, or do you like her better as Supergirl? Or do you see them as the same person? Same person. Okay. What do you like about her? Um, I like that she's independent. Yeah? You like her powers? Yeah. Which are, what powers are the coolest? I like that she's bulletproof. Yeah? I like that she has super hearing. Are those the powers you wish you had? Yeah. What would you, what would you use the super hearing for? Probably to like listen and like to my parents' conversations. Your parents' conversations? <laughs> They're not very interesting, I promise you that. Besides Supergirl Kara, who is your favorite character on the show? Um. Good guy or bad guy? Either one. Livewire, probably. <laughs> Really, you like the bad guys? Yeah, she's really cool. Yeah, what was cool about her? I like that, like, she was all of a sudden, like, I like that she got transformed when she was in a helicopter with Car. I think that's really cool. Yeah, okay. Electricity powers are all pretty cool. Yeah. Do you think that she was uh, doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing going after Cat Grant? Wrong thing. Yeah, okay. That's good. It's good. I mean, it's good that if you like a bad guy, you recognize at least she's doing the wrong thing. So, which one of Car's friends do you like best? There's Jimmy, there's Wynn. Probably Wynn. He's Wynn. funny. Oh, you like Wynn? He's pretty funny? I like Wynn, too. So what do you think of Kara's uh, boss, Hank Henshaw, guy in charge of the DEO? He's kind of mean and nice at the same time. Like, so what's going on with his glowing red eyes? What's that about? I think he like might be evil, but he's trying to hide it or something. Oh, okay. Let's talk about Alex, which is Kara's sister. So what do you think? I think she's really cool. Yeah? Is she a good fighter? Yeah. She's pretty awesome, isn't she? Yeah. So who would you say is a good... Because, you know, as a young lady, you're always looking for female role models. I've noticed this about you. You're always looking. You always immediately gravitate to female characters in any show. And as far as you're concerned, Star Wars is the adventures of Princess Leia. So who would you say on the show is probably the best role model for you? Um, Alex or um, Kara, probably. And when you say Kara, do you mean Supergirl or Kara? Both or both. Okay. Well, she acts very different when she's Kara. Yeah. So what do you think about the difference between the two? Because I think Kara's kind of nervous because Cat Grant kind of like is like kind of the boss of her in that. But as Supergirl, she's kind of like, she kind of like is overthrown and like Cat Grant, like obey Supergirl kind of. Interesting. Okay. Do you think Cat Grant's a good role model? Mm, not really. She's pretty tough though, huh? Yeah. Do you know that actress is married to Han Solo? You told me last time. I did tell you that. <laughs> or Indiana Jones, whichever you prefer. Same guy. So besides Livewire, because I know you like her, like what was the coolest episode we've seen so far? I really like that Livewire episode. <laughs> okay. Uh, what about the uh, what about the plane crash in the in the first episode? Oh, that one was really cool too. That was pretty amazing. She saved the plane. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That she was got like, soaking wet. <laughs> she did get soaking wet. What did you think of her mom? Kara's mom. She's pretty nice. Yeah. Was she always nice? Is she nice to Alex? No. Is that how your mom treats you? Sometimes. Oh! 
I don't think we'll let mom listen to this episode. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. So would you describe Kara and Alex's relationship similar to you and your brother's relationship? No, because me and my brother argue a lot more. Than <laughs> Probably fair. If you had to compare Supergirl and The Flash, which are both shows that we watch that are kind of similar, which one do you like better? I kind of have to say The Flash because I really like all the characters in them, and I feel like since since you know, like like Firestorm, like it's appeared in it, I kind of feel like I feel like I'm co- more connected to it, kind of. Wow, I'd be honest, I'm surprised. So, what is it that you like about The Flash? I like um. Caitlin Snow, a.k.a. Daniel Panabaker. <laughs> <laughs> Nailing the real name. Look at that. Um, I, I really like, I like, they're all, like, so such good friends. Okay. Would you say uh, Caitlin Snow is a good role model? Yes. What about later on when she turns into Killer Frost? Will she still be a good role model? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. With a name like Killer Frost, I'm thinking probably not. Probably not, yeah. So before we hang up here, is there anything you want to say to the nuclear subs, which are people who listen to the Fire and Water podcast? Is there anything you want to say to the nuclear subs out there? Fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to get them. Torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice. And see a land in air. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. If that pot sticker is not in my mouth in two seconds, I will melt your face. Well,